We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. about Argentina's opening game being at 4 a.m. is it's the one game you know nothing of any interest is going to happen. This is the Arsenal Vision World Cup Daily. My name is Elliot Smith. You can buy me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. And here with me now, as he will be throughout the tournament, is Phil Costa. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil Costa. Hello, Elliot. Quite a day. Quite a day we've, we've got to talk about here, which is, I guess, great for us. So. Quite a night, a day, a morning, and depending on where you live, all of those things combined. And I will say that Lewis Ambrose, who has been much hyped as being a part of this, will be a part of this just as soon as he's feeling better. And of course, we wish him a speedy recovery so we can get on here and provide the kind of insight uh, that pointedly I cannot. So we look forward to that. Yeah. Phil, what we're going to do, by the way, if you're new to listening to these, each game will give a quick talking point, right? If you didn't see it, if you did see it, what's the main talking point? We'll talk about a player who impressed, maybe a player underwhelmed. At the end, we'll roll it up with um, some takeaways from where it leaves the group. Uh, best goal, if there's one that we want to call out, and a quick look ahead to the next day. And we'll try to do these. Not that I'm ripping off a concept that Arsblog invented called the 30, but he doesn't have a copyright on 30 minutes being a measure of time. As far as I'm aware, he may. He may, in fact, have that. But we're going to try to keep these around <laughs> that time. So you can listen to them every day without seeing them pile up in your uh, podcast inbox. So, Phil, in terms of the first game of the day, it was 4 a.m. local time for me. So I'll just level with you. I didn't get up to watch it. <clears throat> and I got no shame in saying it. I wasn't expecting it to be anything interesting. But it was interesting indeed. And it wasn't just that Saudi Arabia won. Saudi Arabia was behind. Uh, a Lionel Messi penalty gives Argentina the 1-0 uh, advantage. Saudi Arabia goes on to win it 2-1. What is the talking point other than just, wow, what a shock? I mean, yeah, that, we've witnessed history. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of World Cup upsets, it's a huge one and probably the biggest one I've seen in my lifetime, uh, mm-hmm. one that I can remember. I mean, the... You know, Saudi Arabia are outside of the top 50. Uh, they're ranked 51st in the world. You know, it's their first World mm-hmm. Cup in 28 years. Um, uh, sorry, first World Cup win in 28 years. So, you know, it's the first big shock of the tournament. And as shocks go, this is probably 
um, the most seismic, you know, this is, this is a, a seven or eight or even a nine on the Richter scale. You know, this is a, this is a, a huge moment for, uh, the tournament and for Saudi Arabia. Yeah. I mean, it, it is an incredible thing that happened. And I guess one of the talking points would be the, the high line that everybody's talking about. I didn't see it obviously, but it's been a talking point in tactics, Twitter. They really tempted them with this high line and it looks like Argentina just couldn't really figure it out. And, um, you know, I'm curious if you're surprised because normally high lines are a very tricky thing to play as Arsenal fans. We certainly know that you need a lot of skill. You need a lot of discipline and very skillful players can traditionally unpick those pretty easily. Not the case today. No, no. And actually, I think early on it became a bit of a joke because Argentina were just getting in time and time again. I mean, Lataro Martinez had a goal disallowed that probably should have been allowed. Um, not sure if you've seen the the various screenshots of his shoulder being offside, but, um, you know, and there was another two disallowed goals. Um, and you think, look, they're just going to, they're going to get them eventually and, and open them up and it's going to be done and dusted, especially having taken the lead so early on. But, you know, the bravery that, that is needed to, to do that, you know, is bold in itself from minute one, yeah. but they were, they were pressing, you know, they were trying to get forward when possible. It wasn't just the high line. They were doing a very marked point of squeezing the game, you know, which is, which is really brave, I, I think. And, you know, having weathered a kind of an early storm, you could slowly see them getting into the game, passing the ball around, getting their feet on the ball and, after the 30 minute mark, 35 minute mark, Argentina really struggled to get on the ball and keep possession. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, Saudi Arabia set a really strong, aggressive physical tone, which Argentina just couldn't match. Um, and I think that was a big shock to them because you could see them getting more and more desperate as the game went on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, obviously everyone's now going to say, oh, well, you know, Messi's finished, or sorry, allow me to use the proper vernacular. Pessi is finished. <laughs> Um, but you know, there'll also be the claims of, oh, we can do it in a farmer's league. This just goes to show you what league on is. But then again, turn around and there's Mbappe looking imperious against, uh, Australia in his game in terms of just rethinking Argentina here. Is this a classic case of overlooking the opposition and they're going to be okay? Cause let's remember Denmark, Tunisia drew nil nil. So they're still very much in with a shot. I mean, they go and they beat Denmark and beat Tunisia, both of which they're capable of doing. They go through no problem. Um, what's your take on revising any expectation about Argentina? I've had quite a few people tweet at me, like, not sure why you thought they'd be any good. They're not great, but I I'm, I'm curious if you're having a similar update of expectations here. I mean, this was, this was a big reality check for them. I think particularly in midfield, I found them really underwhelming. Um, they never quite seemed to strike the right balance. I think Leandro Paredes, good player, quite neat, and, and Rodrigo de Paul also very good. But I think they missed the kind of two-way ability of Giovanni Lo Celso, which they've which has been a kind of a mainstay in in Lionel Scaloni's reign as manager, which has obviously helped contribute to their their huge unbeaten run, 36 games it was before today. Um and I just found them quite slow to get the ball through the thirds they were very nervy uh, i don't it was just a, i think they realized the the scope 
of what was happening and they just began to get more and more desperate and wasting balls like Di Maria so many times was just cutting in and crossing the ball into nobody. Yeah. Um, and they made some changes and they did seem to improve a bit. They brought on Enzo Fernandez, who's a good player in midfield. They brought on Marcos Acuna, who gave them something different down the left. But I think in terms of their play, they didn't get the ball into Messi enough. Admittedly, he was marshaled excellently by Saudi Arabia, who were, as we mentioned, physical, aggressive. And when they needed some last-ditch defensive moments, um, there was one defender in particular, Hassan Al-Tambakti, who was a colossus. I mean, there was one tackle that he made on, on Messi who was guaranteed to score. He just stuck out a long leg and got to it. And there was another one with Lautaro Martinez um, that he blocked as well. And I just thought that summed them up. And, you know, it was a real a chest pumping, you know, they were up screaming, celebrating tackles. And it was one of those games, you know, the classic smaller nation going up against Goliath um, and scored two really good goals of their own. So I thought they were, you know, well worth the win in terms of their overall performance, maybe not in terms of chances created because they scored two goals from three shots. Um, but in general, I thought they were well worth their win with a really brave, aggressive playing style. Yeah. I mean, it, it it'll be interesting to see what, if any, anything this means in terms of Argentina's quality. The interesting thing is, obviously, you look at the XG in this game. Saudi Arabia had two brilliant goals created next to nothing. The bigger story is probably that outside the penalty, Argentina really created next to nothing. And you play this game 10 times in a row, maybe Argentina gets away with a 1-0 from just the penalty and they don't concede the two brilliant goals, but they still didn't create nearly enough. And especially trailing for as long as they wound up trailing for to not create more, I think is the big red flag here. I don't think the conceding two is, but in terms of the two, what a two, two great goals. And, you know, I think one of the things you kind of expect with the teams that you think of as weaker is that they won't be as dangerous in front of goal. And in this game, it's the brilliant finishes uh, benefiting Saudi Arabia and not Argentina. Yeah, I mean, the first one just kind of came out of nowhere, really. But uh, Christian Romero got caught. Um, to be fair, he forced the striker quite wide. But Al, I think his name's Al Sherry. Apologies, some mm-hmm. of these pronunciations are going to be very <laughs> butchering these. Um, I mean, but Al Sherry I'll really. I'll do worse every day with the easiest of names, so fire away. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he took the goal really well. I mean, it was right in the corner uh, with his left foot going away from goal. And then the second one, crowded penalty box. Um, Aldosari brings it down. I mean, he was their obvious danger man, but he spins really well in the box and just fires one into the top corner. Um, you know, Emmy Martinez got a hand on it, but you know, just two moments of quality and, and, and you need that when you're the obvious underdog, you need those moments to go for you. You need a bit of quality. Um, but what I really enjoyed was that it wasn't just, we're going to camp in here and try and do our best. There was genuine moments of, smart play there was organized pressing they really got onto Messi in the second half so a big shock a big big shock a reality check for Argentina but also a win a historic win for Saudi Arabia look whether whether that's sustainable or not who knows um in terms of the day in terms of the occasion it was um quite amazing to watch yeah yeah I mean I don't think we need to do any 
stock rising unless you have someone in in mind particularly. I don't know the Saudi Arabian team well enough to know if you have a stock rising you want to pick there. Do you want to skip straight to stock falling or do you have a stock rising to pick? Uh, no, I mean, I mentioned him. I thought, yeah, there was a couple of moments from Altan Bakhti. Altan, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and their goalkeeper was excellent as well, Alawais. Yeah. But um, I think it was more of the team that was a stock yep. rising for them. Stock falling? Oh, um, again, I, I think I'm going to have to say Messi just because, and not a lot, it wasn't all his fault. Um, I think he should have scored one goal before the penalty. Um, actually, it was a very weak effort. Ball dropped perfectly to him on the edge of the box and he just put it straight at the keeper. But just in general, I didn't see enough willingness for him to get on the ball and, and take this game on. I mean, he was very well marshaled, but I found him quite easily marshaled. Um, mm. There were a couple of moments where he was bullied off the ball, a few overhit passes. You know, there was even a free kick in perfect messy territory with 10 minutes to go and he just ballooned it over the bar. And like I said, I thought there were a few below par performers for Argentina, but just to, due to the esteem that I hold him in and what I know he is capable of. I, I thought he looked quite flat in the second half and particularly when this is supposed to be his team. Um, I just didn't really see enough from him, but I thought Christian Romero was very weak. I thought Noel Molina right back was, was defensively suspect. You know, it just was a very flat performance and I'm not sure why, but you know, like you said, they're not out of the group yet by any means. You do wonder sometimes if playing the team you expect to be bottom of the group first can be a blessing and a curse. Um, we've seen it now with three big teams, England, France, and Argentina. England throttled their opposition. France did as well, falling behind 1-0, but then coming back to stomp them. And Argentina, go ahead, maybe expected to be easy, get hit with a couple of unexpected goals, couldn't right the ship. So we'll see. I have to admit, I'm enjoying this. Like, like from a pure entertainment standpoint, I'm enjoying watching these things, but... I, I don't want to be a downer, right? Because it's it's a fun tournament. Everything's been good so far. N- nothing really that, that I, I would criticize, except that because I'm still so I'm so fired up about Arsenal right now, and because it's freezing cold winter here, it's dark and gloomy. I can't go out to a beer garden. I can't go out with friends and sit outside and you know with a, a thousand friends with a big screen. And not that I have a thousand friends, obviously, I'd, I'd be lucky if I can rub three friends together. But although. If I had three friends, we could rub together. Anyway, um, the point is like, there's just something about it being in the winter that makes it a little bit different in terms of my viewing. Like the summer is a light, more lighthearted time. There's more time to just chill out and do whatever you want. I'm a little wrapped up with some work stuff. So I, I can have it on in the background, but it can't be like the sole purpose of everything I'm doing. And so I'm enjoying it. But the fact that it's not summer and I can't be outdoors and I can't just be zeroed in. Like I, and because Arsenal isn't like season over and out of my head, it's still very much in my head. The like Argentina losing should have been like shocking. Like, oh my God, shocking the world. And I, I'm struggling to connect to it. Maybe because it happened while I was asleep, to be fair. Are you, are you having any of the difficulty connecting to the enormity? Because the World Cup usually feels so enormous to me, but the enormity of it hasn't hasn't hit me yet. I don't think I've unplugged from the enormity of what the club is trying to do. So I'm not sure I'm, I'm able to connect to the enormity of the tournament. Yeah, definitely. Um, although that's I will not say, complain- that, by the way, just stop real quick. Th- that's not a criticism of anything. Th- those are other issues. We can talk about those it- separately. This is just purely me 
trying to plug into this tournament and and like get connected to it psychologically you know yeah i mean it's strange because there was no real build-up you know arsenal played wolves on that saturday mm-hmm. and then all oh, six weeks off or, or, or however many weeks it is four weeks off and there's a world cup to come you know there was literally five days in between yes that whole process and there wasn't really enough time to enjoy any build-up or you know really get into the mood like you said that the summer and the winter thing makes a big difference, but I realize there I are people have, listening to this for whom it is summer, right? Like I'm not, I'm not trying to be course, like uh, geocentric. I'm just talking about for me personally, it's freezing and, and it sucks out. You know, you know but I, <laughs> watching today, I, I did feel that something's kicked off, you know, a little bit. It did feel like, right, this is, this is the day that this thing sparks into life. So hopefully mm-hmm. um, it sort of follows that trajectory, but I, Obviously, it's it's very alien to us, this whole process, this whole schedule. Um, but I'm just trying to enjoy it for what it is, you know, as difficult as that has been. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting to contrast it with the last international tournament that you and I covered because that was coming off COVID football when football felt so dead and, and unalive and, and we struggled to connect with it and there were no fans in the stands and Arsenal stunk. And I was just losing some of the love. And we got this incredible Euros. Granted, we had the the one medical scare, but aside from Ericsson's situation, like there were fans, there was joy, there were incredible high moments. And it really reconnected me to football in some ways. And now you have a World Cup where I'm coming off the highest moment my club has been at in a long time. And I'm I'm being asked to just pivot, right? And that's that's hard. And I'm being asked to do it at a time when it's gloomy and cold and nasty out. So I don't want to bring anybody down about the tournament. I'm just curious if I'd be curious to survey people and say, has the enormity of it kicked in? Has the festival atmosphere of it kicked in for you? You know, has the has the eventization of it, to make up a word, kicked in for you? Because for me, it's sort of like work on one screen, World Cup on the other. But I'm sure there are people for whom that that's how it is in the summer too. So I'll be curious to hear back from people on um, how they're connecting to it as it develops. And admittedly, when the USA play England on a day that's largely not a work day in America, it's more of a shopping day, and the nation will be stopped and focused on that, maybe that will really, for me, start to, to create that sense of enormity. So we'll see if that happens. Um, Denmark, Tunisia, nil-nil, not an instant classic. Interestingly, this has been a tournament of very few shots. Seven shots, I think, is the average per game before the France game. Um, I think the U.S. had like five, something like that. England scored six goals on like eight shots. Um, and and Denmark-Tunisia game where neither team really was able to, to take control. Headline? Yeah, I mean... As 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 far as nil-nils go, it wasn't terrible. That's That's my headline. The stats look point to an underwhelming game. Mm. You know, goal or straw usually points to an underwhelming game, but I didn't think it was that bad. I think it was played at quite a decent pace. Um, and again, I thought Tunisia as the underdog gave as good as they got, which was a really nice surprise. Um, but yeah, I think in, in general, I was quite underwhelmed by, by Denmark. I, you know, not much has changed from the Euros. You know, it's only been, you know, 18 months, you know, that a lot of the players are still there. They've got the same manager, same style. But for me at the Euros, their superpower was getting the, the ball forward quickly, you know, pushing their fullbacks on high vertical football. But I found them 
quite slow and laboured in possession. I thought their two strikers, Kasper Dolberg and, and, and Skov Olsen, were way too peripheral. I mean, mm. uh, Skov Olsen was kind of playing wide and up front at the same time. It was it was very weird. Um, and I just didn't see the, the Denmark that I'd remembered. Um, to be fair, they did find an extra gear when when Mikkel Damsgaard came on, um, Thomas Delaney got injured and he gave them a little bit of something in midfield because they pushed Ericsson back. Um, but in general, I, I didn't see them in, at the usual physical swashbuckling selves and particularly in the wide areas, Joachim Mailer, Christensen, they got in a few times, but I didn't see any quality from them. And, you know, maybe they were just easing in, easing into the tournament, but I thought they were a little bit rusty. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and what about future uh, Arsenal superstar Jesper uh, Lindstrom? Didn't make the difference, yes. unfortunately. No, he came on with about half an hour to go, twenty-five minutes. A couple of nice touches, uh, good moments, but I thought it was actually another sub, Andreas Cornelius, who made more of an impact. He should have scored actually. He missed the header from he hit the post from about two yards out, but um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I just think they were a bit below par today in general, and. You know, defensively, they were fine. Kasper Michael, you know, made an excellent save, um, to be fair. I, th- I mean, actually, Tunisia surprised me. I, don't, I didn't know too much about them. Um, but similarly to Saudi Arabia, they, they showed an intention to press early on. They were defensively strong when they needed to be. I mean, their back three was was excellent. Mm. Um, and you could you could feel that this meant something to them. I mean, they're two in midfield, especially Elias Shikri and Aisa Laiduni were brilliant. I mean, there were some really strong moments where they were winning the ball, taking it forward, carrying, you know, I think if they just had a striker with a little bit more quality, there were opportunities for them to win that game because they got in a few times on the break. Um, and obviously they we, we referenced that save from Schmeichel from, from Jabali. It was a, a really cute finish and a, and, a, and a great save. He made himself really big. But like I said, in terms of a nil-nil, I've seen a lot worse. Let's just put it that way. And I, and I learned, you know, more about two teams that I, that, that I didn't know about. Any, any rethinking, if you had to rethink Argentina, any rethinking of your dark horse Denmark? Because this does create an interesting situation in the group. The Denmark and Argentina would have been expecting to be on three points probably to the extent that you can expect that. Denmark now on one, Argentina on zero, and Saudi Arabia with three in a really nice position. I mean, Denmark is may find that they have to get some kind of result against Argentina, who will have to get some kind of result against them. That game suddenly now be the case of, if there's a loser in it, they don't go through. Um, I mean, still a lot remains to be seen, because Denmark could, could beat up on Saudi Arabia, don't know. But are you rethinking your dark horse pick? with Denmark after what you saw today or just a slow start? Um, I mean, I, I don't think so. I think it's always very difficult to, to judge off one game. I mean, we even saw in the Euros, we'd written Denmark off um, and they ended up as semi-finalists. So mm-hmm. look, there's plenty still to, to be played for. Plenty can happen. They'll rejig a few things, I'm sure, behind the scenes. You know, I, I think intensity will, will be a big message being put forward by their manager. Um, but yeah, not not an amazing start, but not a terrible one either. I think today would have been seen as a winnable game and to not win it would have been disappointing. But mm-hmm. I think they have enough talent in their ranks to to cause some teams problems. If you had to put your life on the two that get out of this group from this situation, are you still going Argentina and Denmark? 
<laughs> well, my life. Your um, life, yeah. My life. Uh, what's that worth? I mean, no, <laughs> I, I, w- I would say so. Yes, I would say so. Mm-hmm. But I, I have been pleasantly surprised by Saudi Arabia and Tunisia from what I've seen over the first game. Um, whether, the, like I said, whether that's sustainable from both teams, I don't know. Um, but it's maybe not as, as, as a far gone conclusion as I would have assumed pre, pre tournament. Yeah. And, and by the way, I have made the classic mistake. Denmark and Tunisia are not in Argentina's group. Of course. Um, they are in France's group. <laughs> so, oh yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's Poland and Mexico. I, yes. I've got them sideways. It's Poland and Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, who also mm-hmm. drew and we'll also have the same question, but yeah. Um, so, so Denmark, you know, we'll need to beat Australia and then, and then they, they should be in good shape. So, so you can invalidate that. I apologize. I was looking at the wrong thing in the bracket there. So I apologize. Yeah. I even um, have the, I even have the groups here open, but I just followed your leads. Okay. That was, that was my mistake. <laughs> Never, ever, ever do that. that I shouldn't. Horrible, I shouldn't. Horrible decision. What you should do, something that you should do is you should make sure that you are uh, working on your emotional well-being, Phil, as should we all. And that is time for me to tell you this pod- This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. We talk about BetterHelp all the time on this podcast. Uh, you know I've talked about being someone who's done therapy all this time on this podcast, and you should be um, certainly considering it not just as crisis management, but almost like a user manual. Like it is so interesting how we think about therapy so differently from anything else. Exercise, nutrition, education, all things we do to maintain um, physical strength, internal well-being, mental sharpness. And then we think of therapy as somehow just being this wild thing that has no relation to that. Well, you can use therapy, obviously, a, a, to help you just with day-to-day thriving in life. And you can use BetterHelp because they're the world's largest therapy service. BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online, plus it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with the therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash vision. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash vision. Do it now, Phil. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. Okay, um... Mexico and Poland, who are, in fact, in Argentina's group, did mm-hmm. not, neither of them found a chance to put themselves in a pole position. You'll have to pardon the pun there. Pole position? Get in. Pole, pole. Anyway, um, uh, by, by getting a win, neither of them did that, which means Argentina stays within striking distance of both, and Saudi Arabia feels good in that group, which I conflated with the other one before, but you can ignore that and pretend it didn't happen. Mexico nil, Poland nil. From what I saw this game, and admittedly this was on, but not my central focus of what I was doing, it wasn't that it lacked pace, like Mexico did everything at 100 miles an hour and they, the thing were moving up and down the pitch, but it lacked quality. Um, and of course, the key moment of the game, Lewandowski earning a penalty and Memo Ochoa saves it. Um, he is sort of just a World Cup tradition, like unlike any other, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, someone tweeted that he was to the World Cup what Mariah Carey is to Christmas. And I thought that that kind of nailed it. I mean, he's just... I don't know what he does, uh, what he drinks before, but he just seems to be always up for the occasion. And all I want for World Cup is a chowha. I mean, that, I'm sure that's what the Mexican fans <laughs> sing. To be fair, um, but I, yeah, I, to be fair, even when Lewandowski was stepping up for that penalty, I thought, surely not. Surely this cannot happen because I, you know, I was just expecting the net to bulge. His first World Cup goal. 
you know, it was written in the stars and obviously what happens guesses the right way. And, and it wasn't even that bad a penalty. It wasn't his best ever penalty, but it wasn't in the corner. Yeah. It wasn't in the corner, but he still struck it well. And I just thought, you know, this is absolutely typical. Um, and what a moment for him. But Lewandowski was very peripheral. Mm-hmm. Um, just 13 touches in the first half, less than any Mexico player, including Memo Ochoa. You know, and, and that's not good enough for Poland. You know, no. he's their number one danger man and they need to get him involved. He had one lovely touch I saw on a counterattack where he sort of feathered a touch through to an on-rushing Poland player and and, and they just blew it. But it, that was like, he had a couple of those class touches in there that just remind you that he's a, he's a cut above, but I agree. Mm. Otherwise, he just wasn't central to what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, particularly in the first half, Mexico were the ones pushing. They looked quite bright in spells, particularly in, in the wide areas. Lozano and Vega were were trying to take the game to Poland. Um, but you just feel that when in, in those moments, in those spaces in front of goal, they just lack a, a finisher or a finisher, sorry, or a focal point in the box, which is to be expected. I mean, the manager even said as much, but I... I expected them to be a bit more blunt than they were. So that was quite good. I mean, Mexico are always going to be strong in midfield. Um, but yeah, I, I thought they were the only ones really forcing it uh, in the first half. And even though it leveled out a bit in the second half, I thought a draw was probably fair game. Um, it, it puts them in a position to knock Argentina out of the tournament with a win next game. Um, because they are actually in Group C. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, it puts them in a position to not knock out any teams they're not in the group with, sadly. But, but I mean, it it will be incredible to see what happens with that. Let's um, let's speed ahead here. But, but just so quickly, between Mexico and Poland, if you had to think one of them was going to get through, um, along with Argentina, who you mm-hmm. still presume will get through, as we know from when we previously engaged in this exercise, did did you see enough from either of these to think that they could? render the uh the Saudi Arabia upset irrelevant in the end that Mexico Argentina game's got a lot riding on it yeah it's hard to say I mean originally my my prediction was Argentina and Poland to go through but having looked at Poland I found them quite stale Mm. um in general I think they look quite slow and and labored especially I mean they were trying to play on the break but even when they were given opportunities on the break they were quite wasteful I mean, Saudi Arabia, they're kind of an unknown quantity at this stage, so I would still go with Argentina to go through. But for me, the, the second place is a real toss-up now, especially after that result earlier. Um, I mean, it, it, it's up for grabs. It really is up for grabs. Yeah. I think based on what I saw, why, why can't Saudi Arabia do it? I mean, if they play like that every game, they're, they're going to pick up points. Um, the question is whether it's sustainable. You know, we don't know. We don't know. No, but it'll be fascinating, and their style will be interesting to watch to see if they go for the same style um, against the teams that are actually in their group. So as as we round up uh, the the last of the games today, and then we'll take a quick peek ahead, France 4, Australia 1. Australia actually starts uh, quite nicely. They, they score what I think is a, a nice goal, um, off an in-swinger to the back post. Nice finish. Um, but Olivier Giroud who just continues to make the most of the talent God gave him, both in terms of his his beauty and his football, uh, has now equaled Thierry Henry's record, 52 goals uh, for France. And 
We'll get back to the lineup in a minute, but just what can you say about Giroud? If you're going to put the ball in the box, the guy's going to score goals till he's 100 years old. And uh, I have always rated him extremely highly, always been one of his super fans, as everybody knows, he says, through gritted teeth. But what can you say? I mean, at this point, even I have to say happy for Giroud, so happy for him. I mean, Benzema would have been playing every every minute of every game that matters. He gets knocked out. You think, gosh, no Nkunku, no Benzema. Will this blunt the attack? Well, their attack didn't look blunt today. Four goals and Giroud central to, to two of them. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an incredible achievement. And and I am happy for him. I mean, we 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 went through a lot with him, both good and bad. Um, and obviously, naturally, the, the revisionism now is going to come about whether selling him was the right thing. <laughs> um, and that whole uh, Pandora's box with Lacazette and Aubameyang and that whole triangle. But, you know, ultimately... To be in the situation he's in now, having still been playing in the third tier at age 21, you know, it's an incredible achievement. And you have to give it to him because, like you said, he's not just a big man. And, you know, he's got a really deft touch. He can score the acrobatics. Um, he can bring others into play. He's a he really, almost had really... like a scissors kick goal in this one. I too, mean, if that, if that, that goes in, that's, the, that's another Puskas. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. seriously. Yep. Um, and you have to give it to him. So, uh, you know, it's just an incredible achievement and things have gone in his favor. I mean, the whole Benzema falling out with Deschamps thing gave him a real chance and he was playing in a, in a side that won the world cup. So there were no chumps. Um, but yeah, just, just fair play to him. And I, I, you know, there were some moments where I wanted to shake him like a maraca. Um, but in general, I just think he's a, an excellent professional, uh, a really talented striker. And, you know, I'm sure he's going to break the record probably at this tournament now. So yeah. fair play to him. Fair play. The the star of this game for me is Mbappe. And he's just a unique player because he has multiple tricks. But the one trick he has is that he's fast. And he just uses that trick and everybody falls for it or can't live with it. Like his pace is electrifying. And he just routinely said, I'm just going to go to the byline. You're not going to beat me to it. And time and time and time again, he did. He should have had another goal late in the game when he got in behind, and I think it was Griezmann with a nice little chip ball into him. Um, is, is it surprising to you that Mbappe can just basically say, I'm just going to run fast, and <laughs> that's more than enough for most players because he's so fast. He even looks a little chunky to me. like He looks like he's carrying a little extra weight. It doesn't matter. The guy's just blistering fast. I mean, it's the hardest thing to defend in football, raw pace. And to That's be fair, I felt, used to do it. Yeah. yeah, I felt really sorry for their right back. Uh, mm-hmm. I think his name was Atkinson because he clearly did not look at the level required enough to defend Mbappe. And like you said, uh, to be fair, I thought France started quite slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, their midfield balance was a little bit off. I thought Griezmann was coming way too deep to Are try and influence you things. Rabiot? I mean, no. I know he scores the opening goal for them, but yeah. Deschamps has always liked him, and he kind of uses him like Blaise Matuidi, kind of mm-hmm. reliable performer, can get up and down the pitch. But I was just screaming at the TV, like, "Go away, Griezmann!" He was on Chouamani's toes to try and be a mm-hmm. deep playmaker, and I said, "Just leave him alone." Mm-hmm. Um, and and obviously, when he started to get forward more, you can see Mbappe come into the game, Dembele come into the game, and it just looked much, much more natural for France. But also, I thought the injury to Lucas Hernandez was a blessing in disguise. I mean, hopefully he's not seriously injured, but I thought having Lucas Hernandez and Pavar on both wings as fullbacks was, was too conservative. When Theo Hernandez came on, 
you could see time and time again, he was getting in down that left side and, mm -hmm. you know, that's what really opened up the game for them. So I thought, you know, having started slowly conceding the goal, um, they could have panicked and stressed out like Argentina, but they didn't. And you could see that eventually the, the quality told because Australia were knackered by the end of it and they had, they had nothing left to give, but you know, who would have thought quality told quality it, told yeah. in the end. It, it makes you realize how scary this team would be if, Benzema and Kunku were available, or not forgetting Kunku for a second, just Benzema, because you're talking about the golden boot winner, the reigning Ballon d'Or winner. I mean, n not in the squad, and they're still scoring four mm. goals and should have had five, six, seven, you name it. Um, well, I mean, Pogba out as well, Kante out, Varane yeah. not playing. You know, there's so yeah. much talent in this squad, and they could still put a, ba a back two of Canate and Apamecano. So, and they I haven't mean, even had to use Saliba yet, who's the best player yeah. in the world. So, there you go. Um, you think we'll see him at all? I think so. If France win the next game, I think the third game will be um, prone to some changes. And, and I think he would be more than uh, capable of slotting in. I mean, Konate was very good today alongside Wippa Meccano, but they're quite similar players. Big, tall, strong, quick on the recovery. He can slot in there, no problem. Yeah, well, um, it's an impressive opening day. And the next game is against Denmark, which... <laughs> I mean, is a really, really interesting one because if Denmark want to be a, a dark horse in this tournament, they're going to need to get something from that. Looking ahead to tomorrow quickly, um, one of the interesting games of the tournament could be coming up below the radar, which is Belgium-Canada. As a CONCACAF watcher myself, Canada were very, very good in qualifying. They have a lot of talent. This is the best Canada team maybe ever, he says, knowing nothing about football history whatsoever. Um, and Belgium maybe just at the very, 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 very tail end of their golden generation. Maybe they're vulnerable, who knows? So you get a sort of aging favorite and an up-and-comer people aren't as familiar with. When you look at the pick of the groups, uh, of the group games tomorrow, Germany, Japan could obviously be pretty interesting, but I've got Belgium, Canada as the one to keep an eye on. How about you? To be fair, I think all four games are interesting. I think Morocco, Croatia can be... An excellent one. I think Group F in general is very open. I don't see a natural favorite. I don't see a natural underdog. Um, I guess Canada would be the natural underdog, but in terms of their quality, I don't think they're an obvious one. Mm. Um, so for me, I, I'm looking forward to all four games. I'm, I'm quite curious to see how Spain play because they're always very hit and miss for me under Luis Enrique. One minute, they can be dominant, creating chances, not letting the other team touch the ball, and then other occasions, really poor defensively. So I'm quite curious to see them, and, and Germany and Japan have a lot of likeable players as well. So I'm going to be watching Spain with a keen interest, um, and as well my, my girlfriend is Spanish, so I've got some skin in the game there. Skin in the game, he says. Tempting Elliot to, to try to make some pun out of that <laughs> that I probably shouldn't. Um, yeah, I, I, think it'll, I think it'll be a fun day. I mean... Germany, it's so funny because Germany used to be the team you're like, if I'm not watching anyone, I'm not watching Germany because it's going to be a 1-0 and they're just going to grind the game to a fine powder. But Germany, over the last decade or plus, have been a dynamic attacking team that can't shut the door at the back. So could could be interesting to watch. And of course, do we know if Tomiyasu is, is a nailed-on starter for Japan? I've always, I assume so. He, he, he did an interview today and, and said he's fit. So... Okay. Uh, he'll be playing most likely at left centre back if the if the manager wants to risk him. 
Um, it was a really funny interview, actually. It was kind of Ben White vibes. They were like, who are your sporting heroes? And he was like, no one. Um, <laughs> and he was like, what other sports do you play? And he was like, none. And it was like, oh, okay, well, this is good for the journalists <laughs> trying to interview him here. But, um, yeah. well, but maybe that's who we sign nowadays, just, you know, robots who, who are good at football and, and like nothing else. I mean, it could help. Maybe they ju- they just don't feel the pressure because, as far as they're concerned, sports are dumb and they just do it for a living. Um, all right. Well, we'll see how it goes. I think um, certainly from an entertainment standpoint, today delivered in the, the the shock upset of Argentina, the the big fun France win. Maybe the other two were a little dry. Just a shame that the Argentina game was at a time that I couldn't watch it. But um, I'll make up for it by watching Morocco Croatia at 4 a.m. tomorrow. He says lying. Um, I'm trying to look. The good news as I scroll through here is that England USA is at a lovely 1 p.m. in the afternoon, um, my time. So I, I will certainly be able to catch that one. There's going right, to be everyone. a few long lunch breaks on that day. Um, well, it's Black Friday in the USA, which is a national holiday. Essentially, it's a day after our Thanksgiving, and it's a day for um, just quiet moment of reflection as you repeatedly punch a fellow human in the face trying to get a cheaper TV at Walmart. Um, so, If that's not the, the American dream, then what is? I mean, you know. It's it, it's Black Friday. It is all about buying things you don't need that aren't very good at prices that probably aren't even that good if you consider how bad the products are. Anyway, um, but but enough about consumerism. Let's leave it there. Phil's on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Thanks, Phil. Thank you. See you tomorrow. Yeah, we'll see you tomorrow, and, and hopefully Lewis as well if we can get him get him healthy. We got to get him healthy. Um, you see, that's the thing. We were worried that the Arsenal players might might not be fit coming back from the World Cup. But it's the Arsenal podcasters who are dropping like flies. We got to get them. My name is Elliot Smith. Please, please block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. And as always, we love you. And we will talk to you after your country 10 on the country note.